Cage leers in the background of this bunny boiler thriller alongside previous co-stars Gina Gershon and Nikki Wellen in Inconceivable. Will it hit the dizzying heights of face-off or will it fall out of the sky like Left Behind? To find out, I've drafted in journalist and somebody who has taken it upon himself to try and win the lottery with Nick Cage. Joining me today is Ed Jefferson. How are you, Ed? I'm good, um, despite, uh, as we speak, being going back into lockdown or tier two lockdown or whatever the hell's happened today. Um, uh, that dating the episode there, but um, yeah, so I've got, I've got uh, one more day of being able to go to the pub with people I don't live with tomorrow, and then uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know where you are if you're in the same situation. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure. I've literally been living a pretty monoistic lifestyle anyway uh my life has become just kind of confined to these four walls i'm i'm almost like nicolas cage in color out of space at this at, the, at this point um but before we get into talking about inconceivable uh, i always ask my guests a few questions to start off with and the first one is are you a nicolas cage fan uh, yeah I, I i would say so uh I, I, I have, uh, like yourself, seen. Well, I've seen I've seen every film up to uh, Inconceivable. I haven't I haven't seen any. Well, I've seen some beyond that, but I, I made it a point of watching every film. Uh, well, originally it was up to The Trust, which came out in 2016, mm-hmm. um, and I, I watched every film he'd made up up until that point, and a couple of TV shows uh, attempting to win uh, the UK National Lottery by picking numbers from each of those films. Um, but that, that was inspired by being a fan in the first place. Uh, whether I became more or less of a fan after having seen all 80-odd films, I'm not <laughs> entirely sure. But so, so, yeah, can you explain a bit more about this uh, trying to win the lottery with Nick Cage? So it, it, I, I basically in 2016 or thereabouts decided that I wanted to do something more along, along the lines of what you are doing, um, of watching his entire back catalogue. But I I was doing it as a, a blog and I, I think because I sort of knew that I would be, I needed something to keep me timely at it basically. Mm-hmm. I, I needed to to make sure I wouldn't, just lose interest at so because I knew there were going to be points where the films themselves were going to make the thing tough. Um, <laughs> so I thought after I, I've been kicking it around in my head, and then for some, I can't remember what reason whether it was connected to the fact that he did that. He did, there is a Nicolas Cage film about winning the lottery, possibly that that was to connect to it. But I decided that, that I'd give it sort of this weird narrative that I was going to try and play the lottery using numbers from each film and do it twice a week, which now seems... I'm, I'm going to start doing it again, but I'm not going to do it twice. I'm only <laughs> going to do the Saturday lottery. Um, but it definitely was... That was like... An, it was like an exercise to keep me doing it to start with. But by... When I was like getting close to doing the end of the original run, I was on some level pretty convinced that I was going to win the lottery. I, I think <laughs> it did something quite weird to my mind, and I don't know whether that's just like how gambling works or whether it was having watched 27 terrible thrillers starring Nicolas Cage. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'm, like... I'm in a similar boat in the fact that like, I keep like talking to like directors and actors who have like worked with him. And like, I've now got it in my head. Like 
it's only inevitable now, one of these days, like something will happen and I'll be able to interview Nicolas Cage. He's That's almost like, that is my winning the lottery almost in this podcast yeah. scenario. That seems to be like, at least by comparison, that seems more statistically achievable. Like, Yeah, yeah well, he's done, he's yeah. done crazier things. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's talk to this guy who lives in Crawley in the UK or buy a uh, dinosaur skull. Yeah. Seems, do you know what I mean? They're, they're, one of them is wildly unpredictable. Yeah, he's an unpredictable guy. So hopefully it will happen. <laughs> but was there, have you ever been close? Have you, like, what's the amount of numbers you've ever, like, have you ever won anything on the lottery? So in the the blog itself, I, I've only, I only ever so far have got two out of six, which by the current UK lottery rules means you get a a lucky dip where they, so the next lottery you can have six randomly picked numbers. So I'd sort I would like for the next week, I would play the numbers I got from the film and then use that. Um, but I did, I got three numbers once when uh, Comedy Central's website um, got me to do a special edition for them when the trust came out on DVD. Um, uh, and I won, I got a small fee for the article um, and <laughs> I won £25, which is three, but what you get for three balls, um, which I think I, I definitely, in terms of the cost of buying tickets every week, it is definitely still not a profit-making exercise either, oh. despite that. So. De- definitely. Well, it it plays into two points. Obviously, yeah, you mentioned earlier about the whole uh, it could happen to you plotline of him winning the lottery and the frivolous spending plays into kind of Nicolas Cage's oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, real yeah. life narrative. So it's kind of a perfect endeavour to just be like, I'm going to be frivolous with my money, take this gap. And like Nicolas Cage's career, it seems like film by film, he is almost cashing in a lottery ticket and us as the audience, because we do not know if we are going to strike a winning ticket with every film we see, or we're going to go home left empty handed at the end of it. Absolutely. It was actually weird. Everyone would always reference the, the lottery, um, it could happen to you. But it's something, it turns up, the lottery is in something else. I can't remember, it's like the family man or something. It has like a subplot about someone playing the lottery or like, there's some, there's definitely like another one where I was able to use real lottery numbers that were in the film, which that felt like a bit of a, like... Even obviously, like it was a film made like fifteen years before I was doing this, but yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, there's something going on. Like, this. <laughs> amazing. So, we've established even through uh, no fault of your own, just from subjecting yourself to every Nick Cage film, you have become a fan somewhat. Uh, what was the first Nick Cage film you remember seeing? I think it was The Rock. I think it would have been like the rock on VHS in like 97 or it would definitely have been like, not, it must, it must've been around like uh, when it first came out, I guess. Um, which I remember liking as an action film and he it is, a, a, for him, it's like a pretty straight role. I thought like, it's not that he's bad in it. It's, it's, um, mm-hmm. it, but uh, I, it definitely took a, a while after that for me to sort of, truly sort of appreciate him uh, 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 in, in this sort of more extravagant kind of more I, I don't know if comedic is the right word but definitely his, his the stuff that leans on comedy I think like yeah. adaptation um I mean fa- a face-off 
I don't know the e is it like are there are aspects of it that I, I would call comedy, but there are okay. aspects of face off that you could say are almost every genre imaginable. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like I, I definitely it, it, it's. But then even stuff like um, the I really love the National Treasure films. Like again, like it's yeah. it's they're more kind of straightforward, but as an ex- examples of the kind of thing they are, they're like really good and it still baffles me that they didn't do any more of them given that they seem to make quite a lot of money and yes. yeah. Well, recently there's been an article about like why Disney never pursued it. And it is basically, even though it made good money, it didn't make enough for Disney. Yeah. I always wondered that. Like there, there, there's no tie-ins that they can do. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure anybody wants a plush of Benjamin Gates or, yeah. They can't really cash yeah. in on American history because that is already like yeah, somebody else is. The government's already cashing in on American history, so they could do a playset where you can like uh, clamp that guy's Ferrari or whatever happens in every. But like, <laughs> yeah. like I thought about loads, loads of yeah. stuff. Like you could have a uh, copy of the Declaration of Independence with a kind of like you have to maybe rub it with like lemon juice or or do you know I mean get it wet and it can show an image of like these secret markings or even like a playset of the mount like mount rushmore they can kind of change it a bit and then underneath is some kind of like uh he-man castle grayskull open it up and you've got this like yeah there there is so many possibilities yeah. but i think the people who would buy it are the people like like me who would like yeah who see the seinfeld like miniature set and go oh yeah that, that's that's definitely a good 500 pound like investment right there <laughs> um so yeah with the rock there's a really interesting like first film to see as well because it's that kind of transition of cage into like this unexpected action star like and it's like that kind of happened around the 90s it seemed like it was him and keanu reeves are like from the 80s we had like action stars were big muscly men and then we get these for for want of better term average guys yeah kind of hoisted into the middle of action Although he'd done stuff where he, because isn't is it like kiss of death that's right before like not that long before where he's like pretty beefed up for that yeah 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 and it's also weird that like those films like do dominate what people think about him think about him but even like in the context of the 90s like it's three films and there's not a ton of stuff after that that's like i get like i guess there's like um gone in 60 seconds but like it, it's not like he became an action oh. star and I, it's basically those three movies and then he goes back to doing kind of a mix of stuff and it's actually like by the numbers it's it is like those 2000s terrible thrillers that are probably like if you're going to pick like a dominant thing that he's done some of which i guess tie into that action art <laughs> because the stuff that's trying to be like a uh way they've tried to make him like uh, liam neeson in taken um because there's one that's stolen isn't there which is yeah. just like <laughs> like why not like it, it, it's, it, i don't know if that's like they're attempting to do like one of those asylum movies, like Transmorphers, but with like Nicolas Cage in Stolen. So, Grandma's, if you ask to get taken, we'll buy that. Like, 
Well, I, I, I'm actually a big defender of stolen. I think just because I imagine like you, I watched them in order. And around that time, like I'd kind of beaten down so much that my expectations were at the floor. Then when that film wasn't as bad as I expected it to be, I kind of warmed to it a lot more. I yeah, <laughs> I can't remember. I, I I I could have like yeah. It's one of those things. So I, I went back and reread all these because I I just moved them over, switched the website there yeah. on to in preparation for doing some new ones. And some I was like quite surprised. Like some of them, I was just like I have no memory of watching this. <laughs> <laughs> like some of them that I took like I'm saying this something's really good. I'm like I, it worked. It may have been, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> I, I have I have the same thing. There's films that like I've covered so long ago, and obviously, uh, such this like condensed way. I'm watching like one a week, and then I'm like talking about it. But then I kind of feel like I have to expel it from my mind to kind of move on to the next one. Especially around that like 2010 block, they can easily like morph into one film. Especially when you get into that like one word title run where it's uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. trespass and uh justice stolen it's like and they've all got four <laughs> titles as well for different regions yeah so yeah yeah, could, yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah and it's like which one makes more sense seeking yeah. justice justice yeah. arsenal or southern fury neither of those actually yeah. make sense for the actual plot of yeah. the film itself uh but let, let, let's not talk about uh uh arsenal's uh yeah so what is your favourite Nick Cage film? Uh, so I, when I was going through and watching them, I think I'd have had to pick out adaptation as the one that just stood out as like, as a film, like as a, as a complete thing, just like a, a brilliant piece of filmmaking that it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's Charlie Kaufman doing sort of his sort of like meta kind of script writing about script writing but it works on it works as a film and as a commentary on a film and cage it like gets to do two brilliant performances um oscar nominated of course um like i I think it it, it's i mean i think it might just honestly one of my favorite films ever made um within his canon it's, it's it's definitely up there like face off is there might be some in, in like has moments that are possibly like a mm-hmm. raw kind of enjoyment that are kind of do beat it out. Um, let, let, let's go with adaptation yeah. because because that feels like and, and like that's a film that a lot of the time weirdly isn't spoken about on this. When I ask people their favorite films, it's always normally at night like nineties run like The Rock, Con Air or Face Off. Or, or we get a few like people who go. Actually, my favourite film is The Wicker Man, two thousand and six. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like my guests are trolling me, but then in other times I'm like, "Hey, if that's your favourite, then that's what the joy of Nicolas Cage." Yeah, every film could be someone's favourite. But I mean, if you get, I've been to, if you have got anyone go, "All oh, the Boy in Blue," or like some really terrible eighties, like <laughs> no, 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 and like. Or, or t- time to kill. I'm waiting for somebody to be like, "That's my personal <laughs> favourite." Um, but adaptation is fantastic, and I think it's a film where you kind of like—I don't—like Cage loses himself. Like you don't go, "That is Nicolas Cage doing a performance," because he kind of like 
puts aside all of like what what you'd consider like the cageisms and almost inhabits those characters of yeah. Charlie and Donald Kaufman. It's like, wow, this is really like this is really good act, and you can totally understand why he got the Oscar nomination, right? Yeah, and it's it's a shame that he doesn't get more of that kind of work. Like, I don't know whether it's because he's sort of got pigeonholed or possibly because, like, there's always the suspicion that, like, where, like, because I remember there, there's reading about, like, apparently, like, making Racing Arizona with the Coen brothers was a, a, a difficult uh, time, like, because I think you've probably got... Uh, well, two sets of people with very strong opinions about what they're doing and whether or not he finds it easier to work with less creative people. And that's why, well, I don't know, that's, that's sort of being unfair. Like, I know I'm not, it, 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 there might be a, a, a certain kind of director with a very, like, with a lot of flair might not work necessarily well with a certain kind of actor with a different kind of flair. I don't know, that, like, if that's the right way of putting it. But, maybe there's a reason he doesn't necessarily work with some kind of directors again, compared to like, you know, whereas a, you know, is it John Turtle Taub? We did two national treasure yeah. movies and a Sorcerer's apprentice, like presumably had like a good, good enough working relationship to do kind of three movies in quite, you know, short succession. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, that may, may, maybe it's just, maybe Charlie Kaufman just like, doesn't like reusing actors. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd have to go back and check who he's worked with. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, th I think that would have been like the family connection because obviously that's directed by Spike Jones. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. At, at the time, uh, he would have been married to Sofia Coppola, so that would have got yeah. that cage in the door. But like, it's that really interesting thing, and I, I kind of have this theory that like these lesser-known directors, um, I feel like they buckle under the weight of someone like Cage, and we find like when when he works with a quote-unquote like good director whether it's like um martin scorsese we get or, or like a spike jones we get these really interesting performances where it's like okay and like the the comparison i always make is like gore verbinski with uh johnny depp in the pirates of the caribbean films it's like you've let him just do what he wants too much and it's like yeah that needs to be reined in. It feels like there's certain directors who manage to to rein Cage in and like. Yeah, because well, I think there's there's the two kinds of performances right that are well. I think there's the two kinds of bad performances that he does. And one is where no one's he's gone out there and no one has said anything. They just can't be bothered because they're you know knocking out a ten million quid thriller in a forest in southern eastern europe and they're just like i just want to get it done it's raining i don't care <laughs> or there's performances where it's the alternative is like even he just doesn't care and it's just asleep like and mm -hmm. but there's and really, that, yeah. yeah there's really interesting directors uh like brian taylor on mum and dad who kind of managed to like get a get that kind of cage that memeable cage of like the rage the the gurning that people the wide eyes that everybody's like used to but kind of seem to filter it in a way of being like i've written this film with nicholas cage in mind so he can go out there and there's an amazing like interview clip of nicholas cage where somebody goes like do you ever feel like you go over the top and like his response is uh i set the top 
He's like, he's like, he's like, you tell me where the top is. He's like, I set the top. Like, there is no over the top for me. Like, and it's like that, that is like, he's a man who's like steadfast to his convictions. You kind of got to tip your hat to him just alone, right? Yeah. And it's like the, the, always kind of, for all the memes and like, you know, YouTube compilations of like Nicolas Cage losing his shit, like the best ones are in films where he's supposed to be losing his shit and they've cast him because he's Nicolas Cage. It's like all the, you know, how many of the clips are from Vampire's Kiss and like Vampire's Kiss is is the whole point is he's a man losing his shit. Like that's, he's doing the job that he's been employed to do. Like it's not like he's got it wrong. A film that I vehemently like, stand with his vampire's kiss because i feel like he had to kind of do that if we if we didn't have that we wouldn't have had american psycho basically it's like this kind of proto american psycho but happens to be about the 80s but is made and set like is made in the 80s whereas we can kind of have this glibness from american psycho and being like Oh, isn't it all ironic? They're taking the piss out of the excess of the eighties, but it's like two thousand and one or nineteen ninety nine when that movie came out, and it's like, yeah, but that film has basically been done with like Nick, yeah, with, with Vampire's yeah. Kiss that was like made in eighty seven but wasn't released till eighty nine. It's like that's insane. And you think about how young Kate. I always think about. It, I think like a lot of people don't really. Think about that a lot. Like, Cage was like 24 when he made Vampire's Kiss and Moonstruck. So he would have been about 23 when he made Raising Arizona. It's like, what a, like, what an amazing, like, group of films for such a young, like, actor. Yeah, and it's especially like, for someone who I think is basically self-taught like he i mean he's he, i don't know have you gone back and watched that tv pilot the the, the, the first the best of times no, no I, i've i've said enough of it i've said so many clips yeah, yeah i mean oh, i i think it's sort of worth it as a weird it, it as a weird thing in itself just to sort like to try and work out what the hell <laughs> like how anyone would have commissioned this weird Kind of is it's like somewhere between like Saved by the Bell and Greece, and it's it's like, but it does have these weird musical numbers that make no sense whatsoever. But then there people are standing around doing weird stand-up comedy about being a teenager in the eighties, and he's but his performance is pretty appalling. But he is of eighteen or nineteen, and you know, very obviously untrained. And then I, you know, in, even in Valley Girl, it, it feels pretty. He's fine in it, but it, it's it feels like someone winging it. Like, and it is kind of interesting that he basically did seem to learn on the job. Like, he, he basically got by by being kind of reasonably good looking and a bit quirky. And yeah. then as he went on, he kind of worked out what he was doing. Like, as far as I can tell, like he yeah, he's I, just I, kind of. I kind of feel like if he were like a musician, he would have like just been out there like figuring it out as he went. And like you would have kind of got this almost like David Bowie-esque thing of like each album he's going, right, I'm going to do something different. And like I'm getting better as I go along because 
I've actually just, I'm releasing the first thing I've got. Do you know what I mean? Or like a, a modern comparison would be like a Tyler the Creator where it's like, I'm releasing my earliest demos. You're going to hear it all warts and all. And then when by the time you actually get to album five or whatever, when he actually knows, quote unquote, what he's doing... And they're, they're these constructed pop songs. Oh, we kind of, we kind of get, we kind of understand what you're what you're doing, like, and it, you now understand what you're doing, like. So it's like, it, it, it's a lot more cohesive and coherent. And that, yeah, like Cage, I don't know, it's something like punk rock about him, and I find that I find that pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, we've talked about the high point, well, the highest point, where well, one of the highest points of Nick Cage's career with adaptation, I guess. Let's stop fighting off the inevitable. Okay. And let's talk about inconceivable. Um, take it this wasn't your first time watching Inconceivable. Uh, so I didn't, well, so I did, so I originally stopped with the 20, his 2016 films. Then I did, what I was originally going to do is each year I was going to go and do like a either a month or whatever, do the four or five yeah. or what is eight films he's got this year or something but i i in the end didn't i I did a did a couple and i i think it was like with with that there wasn't enough momentum i think with doing those reviews so what i've ended up doing i wasn't necessarily ever attempting to come come back to it but lockdown actually seemed like a good enough time to do so (laughs) so i because there's now 20 i think or something like 20 that i haven't seen i haven't done this with i've seen a few of them um but i had seen inconceivable back in the day but I hadn't uh, written about it I, I that, that was a, maybe it was because it was you could see it was so <laughs> bloody awful um that I lost uh, the will to do it but um but I, I thought so this is where I'm, I'm essentially uh well with with uh, I think the, the the first one I'll, I'll be starting back up with is Vengeance and Love Story um which I also hadn't done uh but then, then I've got Inconceivable and then I have I've got Mum and Dad to come um, I can't. I think there's a different. The order of those is debatable, depending on which website you you look at. Um, yeah, I uh, think IMDb goes by production dates. Yeah, uh, Wikipedia tends to go by release dates. Uh, but yeah, I had seen Inconceivable, but I couldn't honestly remember much about it other than uh, the fact that it's got um, a lady from Neighbours in it. Um, uh, what's yes. her? I can't remember her her name now. Uh, the Nikki, Nikki Wellen. Nicky Wellen from uh, Neighbours and that Christian movie Left Behind, um, and is also in Dog Eat Dog as well. So she's like, oh, is she? I've forgotten that. Like, this is a this is a third time outing with Nick Cage. I've forgotten that. <laughs> she here's an, an interesting, boring fact I learned today because I was curious. I remembered that she was in Neighbours around the same time as uh, Margot Robbie. Uh, but it was, she was either slightly before or slightly after. They didn't cross over. But both of them uh, played characters whose father was a police sergeant in Erinsborough. <laughs> so that must be a good... If you were in Neighbours and your father is a... You play the uh, daughter of a police sergeant, you'll either become one of the most successful actresses in Hollywood or you'll be in three Nicolas Cage films <laughs> that are all bad. <laughs> Amazing. What made you pick inconceivable to talk about um well i think part of it was i think because out of the ones of of this era i'd already done i'd been on a podcast talking about arsenal um uh vengeance uh love story is about a horrific gang rape and i 
didn't think I thought I don't want to be recorded yep. being talking about horrific gang rape. Um, it's hard enough to write about it without uh, running into problematic areas. Um, uh, so I, I part and I also couldn't remember that much about it. So I thought, oh, well, it, well, it relatively fresh. I'll come to this relatively fresh. And I didn't want to, also didn't want to get too ahead of where I I, I I'd left off. So. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I guess we should talk about some of the plot, like the plot points of this film. So we get this, like one of the first things of my notes when it came to this film was just the, the terrible wig we get in the opening scene that Nikki Whelan is wearing. In that she's like, it's it, it's clearly a flashback, and there is a thing with flashbacks throughout this film that they look terrible like it i'm not sure what filter it is what effect they have on the lens but it looks like mud it genuinely looks like every the lighting is so dim and it's like we get it it's set like this is a flashback it can still look pleasurable to the eye instead of like what you're presenting to us right now it also it also why is this flashback the first thing we see in the film because it 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 basically, the, the flashback shows her. We see what do we see? We see her killing a dad and taking the baby. Right? Is that yeah. that's more more or less what we see? And that immediately blows all tension of the, like the film because we're then going to see her become like ingratiated into the life of this couple and be their nanny. And instead of like building up that something, there's something sinister about her. We immediately know that she's a murderer who steals babies. So, like, it's like, yeah. what? Like, I, I, I think the way that the film though is trying to present it to you in that opening moment is that she is from like an abuse, and she kind of says it to the family as well. She said like, I was in like a, an abusive relationship, and like I had to get out of there, and like it was like the only way to do it was to was to kill him. But like, it doesn't look like those. I don't know. It doesn't look like this. I know he, yeah, no, because he grabs her by the throat, right? So you kind of, it, it takes you down that path. But then, but when she has, like, got herself into the family, it's not yeah. like she is, like, normal, like, straight away. She, like, considering she's a nanny, like, I think one of the first days that she's on the job, she just leaves the kids to go, like, snoop about the house. But they could, could even, like, like... I think it's what you say is fair, you know, fair, fair enough that you, yeah, you're right, you don't know. And I think having come to this, having seen it before, I was probably reading that. But even then, like, you can then play it as a bit of tension that you have the reveal, like, oh, she's weird because, you said how I've been weird. And then you, her reveal is like, I'm weird because, and then you get the flashback. And then you can spin it out a bit more. But it just, it feels like it wants to get everything out like it doesn't have a, it almost feels to me that like I came away feeling like they they watched the footage and they were like there's no tension in, in we haven't actually put any tension in the film no. so we just have to put these flashbacks right in the beginning <laughs> so the audience knows enough about her to be wigged out by her because she's not being interestingly weird like she's just being like she's it's just so I mean it oh, it's so strange, like strange, and it, it, I, I, maybe we can talk about it later. I did some reading up in the background of people making this film, and it, it and it is a first-time director, and it's it's 
it, 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 that did sort of, I was like, oh, okay, I see it. They're like, this is not someone, this entirely seems like people who don't really know what they're doing. And it made a lot more sense when I read up on the background of it. Um, well, it's interesting as well that you said about the director, uh, yeah, the director whose name is Jonathan Baker. I like, he's in the film as well. He- yeah, that character, she did, am I insane? I read, because uh, I was like, who is that character? Like, because then I found, first of all, I found out this, there was the, that character was him, but I'd already be confused as to who that character was because he was always sitting next to the mum character played by Faye Dunaway, and I was just like, oh, it's the idea that like she, he's Faye Dunaway's like um, toy boy, toy yeah. boy, yeah. But he's apparently the guy, the original, just the gynecologist of the Nick Cage's wife. Apparently, he's like, but he's never see. He's in the hospital at the end, but they never say anything. But he's a gynecologist. It was just mentioned in an interview I read while I was reading up on the background of it. The, the well, the only moment we get that he like knows the well, like yeah, we get those moments with Faye Dunaway at the table, or we get him as the DNA technician to run the DNA, and he seems like he's really from I. I'm very confused because we get that photo. There's a photo at one point, and it really stuck out to me because Katie, uh, Nikki Wellen's character, is snooping about the house and looks at a photo of Faye Dunaway and Jonathan Baker sat at a table. And it's like that photo looks like an on set photo of the scene we have just watched of them having a barbecue. And it's like. <laughs> Do we need to explain the plot of this just in case people are listening to this or not? Because I realise we've already got, we're jumping all around a bit. I don't know whether it, or do well, we, yeah, we yeah, get Yeah, back? No, 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 yeah, let's, no. Yeah, let, let, let's, yeah. Do you want to explain to us, like, how would you explain the, the premise of this? So the, the, the premise of the film is that Nick Cage and, G, is it Gina Gersh? Well, what's her, I can't remember the actress's name. But it's Gina Gershon, yeah. Gershon, she, who, uh, was the girlfriend of the Nick Cage character in Face Off as well. Yeah. So it's a nice reunion all, all the way around. <laughs> um, they are, they've had one kid and they want, but that was quite difficult. And maybe they, it involved, uh, we find out a donated egg. Um, but then the, we want to have another one that doesn't, but they're not able to conceive naturally or apparently with the donated method, but they can use a surrogate. And it turns out that um, while this is going on, they've got to know this Nikki Whedon character, um, Katie, and she volunteers to be the surrogate. Um, but it turns out basically that the she somehow knows that they're going to be implanted with one of her eggs because the, their first child was actually done, but unbeknownst to them, was taken from one of her eggs. And she's actually getting involved because she wants to take back what she sees as her children is essentially the the premise. Of the, is, is it, unbeknownst to them, this is all going on. So she's basically trying to take control of their lives and steal their children um, is the basic premise of the film. I, I don't know if that's... That is perfect. And yeah. even knowing that premise, it's even more confusing. Yeah. Because you're like, how... How did anyone know? Yeah, like... How? Why? Like, all the classics, it's like, who, where, why, what, 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 what is going on? Because 
I like it never goes into how she knows like but and she does burn doesn't she burn down a clinic or something there's the implication that she's maybe taken well, they, or no, maybe, or maybe I'm thinking of a different film. I don't know. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe it just doesn't explain it. No, because they call the clinic, don't they? And they yeah, and the, and she's friends with this like gym trainer who ha- does these mother and baby like gym classes. So it's like right. I wish we had got some background on that as well. Like how has she ingratiated herself with Linda, the cat, like uh, the yeah, like the the kind of the trainer so how long has she been kind of either like grooming her into her scheme to kind of get in there so she can get this introduction to angela uh, gina gershon's character so she can move in her way into their family and but then even that even if you kind of forget about these convenient machinations of the plot just the kind of time frame in which she becomes best friends with Gina Gershon's character is baffling. Like, you know, like it's, it goes from one moment from them being like, Hey, yeah, we're just hanging out. Like that the kids accidentally fell asleep to the next scene where it's like, she's living at the house. It's like, what, what, what's going on? Yeah. I thought, and it's also, they don't have any other friends apart. There's like one scene where there's like a party, but they there are two different dinner scenes. Because I was trying to figure out that the, this the director is in the film as this gynecologist who may or may not be the boyfriend of is Faye Dunaway Nick Cage's mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's in two. There are two different scenes where we're having dinner in the garden, which presumably. This film apparently was shot in 15 days. I'm assuming both those scenes were filmed on the same, the one day that they had Faye Dunaway, because all her scenes are in the garden at that yeah. table. And apparently she'd broken her leg, so that's why she's sitting down in the <laughs> But, but then you, like, if he, it's like, if he isn't, if he was just a gynecologist, how many people are that good friend? Like, they, he's their only friend, like, friend that they ever invite around for dinner? Like, it's very... Like it, it, it does seem like a lot of this was shot in a hurry. Well, now as it clearly was, and they didn't have that much time to think about what they were doing, and then I like have done what they can to save it in editing, but not very successfully. Well, for for a film that like Nick Cage is like third billing in it, he's not really in it that much either. But he's that's quite. I mean, apparently I did, he was on, like, I think it was two or three days or something he was on set for, like, it's, but that's quite, to be fair, like, that seems to be a lot of what he does now, or certainly the ones I've been watching, because, like, Vengeance, a love story, like, again, like, he probably could have done all those scenes in a week, like, he's not in it, um, Arsenal, that, like, get, they could have knocked that off in a couple of days, a day, like, I mean, I guess that there's, Presumably, he. I mean, I, I was listening today to your episode, actually, Arsenal, where um, your guest uh, mentioned that he'd heard he doesn't act, that Cage doesn't actually come on that big a fee. Because mm-hmm. I was, I sort of, my theory has always been that, like, if he can turn up for three days and pocket a million quid of a 10 million budget movie, like, that's why he does all this stuff. But 
if it's substantially less than that, I mean, if he is in the position where he needs substantially less than that, maybe that's why he's doing seven of these a year. Like, but it does seem, it is like, I mean, it, it, I guess it's since this period, it does seem that he's been getting leading roles in things that aren't terrible again. So, but it does, it seems to like that 2017, 2016 seemed like a bit of a fallow period where he really was doing anything, offering any kind of paycheck. Like, but, yeah. But there is that thing that, like, there are some interesting roles peppered in. I think that's what kind of keeps a lot of people with goodwill with Nicolas Cage is every so often you'll get one and go, oh, okay, I understand, like, what's going on. And But then but then you have to kind of swim through this sea of kind of yeah. inconceivables. Which... And he's, he's, like, not bad in this, right? I don't think... I mean, he's... I think it's a pretty good performance, yeah, what it, it is, it's just not written. Like there isn't anything to the character. He gets one nice bit of business at the start where he's talking about purple rain or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that made me. I don't know. Maybe it was just because of the musical reference. It sort of reminded me of The Rock. So I don't know. Maybe it, it's sort of just. I was thinking about something good, and that made it. But I think it's like it's a fine. It's a good performance, and it. Well, you know, it's a good performance of what the material. What material there is, and it's also quite nice to see him playing a quite boring kind of amiable suburban dad for some reason like mm-hmm. it's almost like I kind of rather than pa- playing these kind of quite grim characters who are you know stoically having to strangle people for revenge over their daughter or whatever like it, it's nice to sit like I don't know it's like almost like playing this is not by any stretch of the imagination a romantic comedy but it sort of reminds me of that kind of era where he would play those sort of kind of amiable kind of yeah, not, yeah. not quite straight man but like that that kind of amiable standard guy like he's like oh it's quite he's quite good at doing that like I quite like to see because it's with you because you could almost he's, he's he's almost weird casting for that kind of thing now like because you wouldn't think of him as like being you know amiable dads like well yeah and there's that thing in this as well like he I don't know what it is about him in this that just like you get these moments because the plot like makes you think at some points that he's having the affair right with with Katie. Yeah, but not never that much. Like it's it never quite it, the mum, the, the Gina Gershon character, she like thinks she Katie's having an affair, like looks through the window and she shoots her husband and the big shock it's a lady, she's a lesbian, like instead of Nicolas Cage. Um but it doesn't it's more that it's in her mind, but like, the film really barely because you never see like never see them getting on particularly well like it's i don't know i never felt like it was really trying to sell us that hard on it like well they, i think there's the one moment where they try and like really wave the flag for it is she like gets in the pool like topless and like it has him like uh, looking yeah on. but then again like it feels like it it dangles that thread but then it's like within five minutes it kind of like it drops that and goes, oh, no, she's a lesbian. But what's also, in 2017, what what are scenes like that for? Like, like that sort of gratuitous nudity that, like, serves a, a basic function in, like, films that would, like, might, might get shown, like, 
or after midnight on BBC Two in the late 1990s. It's 2017. We've got Pornhub now. No one needs to be watching Inconceivable to see boobs. Like, yeah, yeah. it's well, really, it's like something from a different era. Like, it's really weird to see that kind of gratuitous nudity just because, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just like don't watch that many of these kind of films anymore, but it just seems sort of like, do we, like, why bother, like... <laughs> I was watching it for this, surely. Well, the thing is, the nudity in this film, or like the kind of some of the camera shots, feel quite leery. So there's like that moment. There is a moment like where we get another flashback of Katie, which I I assume is supposed to be like the night of that initial flashback. Where oh, with she, the lady in the bar. With the lady in the bar. Yeah, oh god, I've got yeah, because she's the new dead body. That's so weird. And it just lingers on a yeah. shot of this like naked woman for like like at least five seconds longer than it should do. And it just feels a bit leery. And then we get Linda, the trainer. There is a moment like on the beach, and like you don't need this shot in the movie at all because it's her meeting up with Katie on the beach. But there's a good, like, five to ten-second shot of just her running along the beach in, a in like, a swimsuit top. And it's like, we didn't, like, this has not advanced the plot any more than it needs to be. It's like the director's gone, oh, let's, get, yeah, let's get some jiggling boobs in, in for, the, for the lads. The, the lady in the bath thing, that, I'd forgotten that scene, which is, <laughs> that, that's when we kind of, the film does, is basically the, the big reveal that she, the, 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 she took the baby, the, so Nikki Whedon's character has her own baby, mm-hmm. but the baby, it was actually from an egg that she donated to this couple who she ended up murdering, basically because the wife of the couple had a bath and had a glass of wine while the baby was crying. So Nikki Whelan murdered her and her family and stole their child, uh, which the film sort of doesn't wholly seem to like, I don't know, something about it felt like the film was like, yeah, no, that is a fair enough reaction. That is what you should do. These people deserved it. Like, it doesn't seem like wholly to disagree with the Katie character. Well, she's got this kind of moral compass as well, isn't it? That like her her reasoning for all of it is these mothers said that the one thing they wanted in life was to have a baby, and it's like if if it doesn't if it falls below that line of not being like the utmost respectable parent there possibly can be, like she will she will just turn and kill them and like we get this kind of plot line of Gina Gershon's character that she at one point in her life was addicted to prescription pills and then is kind of used against her by Katie throughout like the kind of the rest of the film and it is this kind of the thing is this film aims to be like the hand that rocked the cradle or fatal attraction or single white female but ultimately comes off a lot more as like a late afternoon hallmark channel or like channel five like drop do you know what I mean like yeah. tv movie you would have got in like the the late 90s or something and it, it never it, it kind of feels very slow to get going and it never 
it's sort of a kind of thing that re- really relies on the kind of performances to sell it and either through like I mean I, I hesitate to sort of blame the actors as much as like I suspect they just weren't given any direction because <laughs> like, um, it, it, it it seems like quite a to make this good seems like a challenge to make this script good seems like a challenging prospect for someone who has never directed anything before um, and, yeah. I mean it, even though I mean and it is it's not by a first time writer but it was someone whose last credit was quite a long time ago and didn't have any their last film 1998 credit, yeah, yeah. And that was, and their, their first film credit was in Poison, was for Poison Ivy 2, uh, which <laughs> I haven't seen, but Poison Ivy was, uh, it, it definitely was a thing I was thinking of when I was, uh, about the, this film in terms of like it did, Poison Ivy was like a film I probably saw on BBC Two at one in the morning at some point in like, the early 2000s. And it was like, yeah, this is like, this is this is where those films used to go. Um, well, I don't know where they go now, other than a bit of Amazon Prime that no one ever finds. Like, well, there's a really interesting thing about the writer Chloe King and a connection to Nicolas Cage as well. Is that her first ever credit on anything was working in the costume and wardrobe department uh, on yeah, Valley Girl. Same. That's weird. That's that's crazy. So, I've so, just seen that. Yeah. So this is like a nice big happy family reunion for uh, for a lot of the like cast and crew involved, but it's ultimately not not an enjoyable movie. And like I kind of want to take a detour from like talk about the plot for a moment to just talk about the fact that doing a bit of, well not that much digging, but looking online and finding out that Nikki Whelan's character I assume was originally supposed to be played by Lindsay Lohan. What what do you, what do you think of that? I mean, it, it fit like I, it, it is exactly the kind of film that Lindsay Lohan was certainly making around this time or slightly before it. Um, it, it I did see that in some story about the producers not wanting him. Just thinking, I mean, I guess like there was a point at which it like she was making films and that were getting. I mean, what was that? Isn't there one where she's like plays twin murderous twins who have a psychic connection and one of them gets their fingers chopped off and the other one oh. can't play. I can't, there's, there are some terrible Lindsay Lyon thrillers from around them sort of, I don't know, five, ten years ago and it's possible she had tanked her reputation but minimal, that was minimal to start with um, well, that, so that, badly that they wouldn't. But this did, like, this would have felt like a natural fit to me given the stuff she like did make. That... Well, the thing, I, the film I thought of straight away when I was like, Lindsay Lohan was supposed to be up for this was I Know Who Killed Me. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Like, yeah, I may have the, the, the details wrong, but it, yeah, there, there's something about limbs being chopped off, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, and, it's very much in that wheelhouse. Like, And I was like, oh, that at least like Lindsay Lohan, like especially because she's got this through her like personal life and stuff like that, has this weird like cachet in almost like her personal life and stuff like that is just as more as exciting or sometimes more exciting than her cinematic career yeah. so like and i don't know i find playing upon those like real life things can be quite interesting uh, whereas like nikki wellen in this is is very very wooden in her performance and it's like it for somebody who's these films work best on kind of like boiling tension that's under the surface yeah. and like you 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 
as an audience, you're second guessing everything. Whereas this is like, she's playing it like ramped up and she is very much like crazy from the get go. And it's, it's not even half hour in where you're going, Oh, she's, she's mental. Yeah. And it might have, if, but this is why I wonder like whether the flashbacks were kind of moved around and weren't necessarily supposed to be where they are, because it might have worked uh, like if we don't know as much about the character and that she's being crazy, but we don't exactly, we can't put the pieces together. And then it's sort of like then stuff starts to come together. But I mean, probably not, but, but we, I think this sort of lays it out so obviously that what's going like that, you know, she is definitely a villain and there's no ambiguity about it. Like, cause you know, it's some, you could have almost like, it's almost, there's this weird thing, right? When you drop Nicolas Cage, like, cause essentially like this is like a lot of the stuff Cage does now. It's like a real kind of C, D movie kind of like level where they put his name up, like it's the biggest thing on the poster <laughs> if any of these films get posters. Um, and it, it weird that sometimes it does sort of like this weird distortion effect, like because he's in this and he does so many weird like revenge thrillers. There's part of you that like keep wonders like, is the twist going to be that like she he turns like the yeah, she ends up being the victim and he turns around and like he's like <laughs> no there there isn't a, a twist there, there's like he he never has to do anything really. <laughs> You saying about the fact that this paints her to be a villain, I think it's about like the half hour mark. We actually get a scene where she kills her her lover in the sea, and it's kind of like, oh, at that point, it's like there is no there, there is no place for ambiguity in the rest of this. All we're doing, all as an audience, the rest of it, all we're doing is just waiting for the characters to catch up to where we are but it's not in a fun way it's not like in a Columbo way where you know who the killer is from the beginning yeah and but like, also because she's not done anything like she gets away with it and she's done nothing to get away with it like she kills she hits the woman in the head with a, a, a exercise a, what you dumbbell, dumbbell type thing <laughs> and um she then we get like a line of dialogue about like oh wasn't it tragic that boating accident i was like doesn't sound like the brightest police pathologist on the planet like like like, needed like so like it just like i don't know it just felt like this needs like they just didn't bother like like, it's like someone wrote it and then i was like i'll get back to that and write something more convincing later and they just never got around to doing it so it's it's all the way through this stuff is it doesn't feel like a script that had anything more than a first job. Well, there's a few, like, incomprehensible points in this, and it's, like, the passage of time is one of them, because it kind of, like, seems to... Like, you don't know how long she's kind of been hanging around before the murder. And then her birth, like, her pregnancy is, like... I don't know, maybe in, like, the last 45 minutes of the film. And it seems to just, like whip through and it's like but the the characters act like the the moment like it's i don't know like that happened the day before and it's like she having like is she an alien as well having this like yeah they don't do any of it's because it's so it's because it's shot in two weeks and it's incredibly cheap whereas like (laughs) in a bad even in a, a like to make to you what you do to like the really cheap crappy way of doing this would just be like 
have one shot of some leaves falling off a tree and then it's like at one point and then it's like oh now it's autumn and it was summer or yeah. whatever like but you know they can't even they've got two weeks to do this they haven't got time to do establishing shots like it's it's and there's just these uses of like loads of like fades to black as well and it's like well i think like one of them is when she like kills linda and we get this fade to black and then it's like Again, I think it is supposed to be that like changing of the seasons almost is it kind of like fades up and she's pregnant laying on a lilo in yeah. the pool. But it's like, what is, and, and you get just get these fades to black throughout the film. And it's like, I was half expecting like Windows Movie Maker wipes at some point. I was like, how shoddy like the editing yeah. in this is. And yeah, like the passage of time is weird. And, um, just like the character the character development as well and like it is it's more frustrating it's not exciting in the way of like you're waiting for the characters to catch up to where we are as i said like a columbo episode is it's more this thing that is just frustrated at the characters like with nick cage's character it's like why are you why are you listening to this woman who like clearly from day one has been cuckoo bananas and like your mum said it and now your wife is saying it and you're going oh are you back on the drugs are you back on the drugs like she says you're back on the drugs it's like what like what's going yeah on? we never get anything that suggests they've like made beyond like him looking at her with her boobs out like we never get any kind of scene that suggests they have much of a connection or like you know, and it, it, it's weird because it's almost like with the character as Cage is playing it, you think there would be some room to have some fun. Like, you know, it does seem like the sort of like, you know, bantery, flirty dad could be a yeah. thing that like, but I just think probably that is because there wasn't much of a character <laughs> and what there is, he's brought to it. <laughs> like, And yeah, another point I was going to make about like something that confuses me, well, not even confused me about this film, this film does a lot, is like there is a lot of just characters sat about talking about the plot or like what like stuff we like we haven't seen on screen and going, uh, like you said about like the whole like, oh, it's a shame about that boating accident. And it's just throughout this film, there's just like, there's just these conversations that seem to go on forever. And it's like, Oh, so you're just filling us in on what has happened as opposed to, like, show, don't tell. Don't tell me. Like, show me show me what's going on. Like, like I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's terrible. This is yeah. crap. <laughs> I mean, in the, I mean, is it, should we get, just get to the almost incomprehensible ending? The, the like, denouement, as it were. Yeah. The, yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's get to this. I mean, in which, it, so... It, I'm just so, so the, the all of the things that happen. So basically, she she the Nikki Whelan character stabs the Gina Gershon character in. No, no. Or, so they, do they stab each other? No. That she there's a knife and goes around, and eventually the Gina Gershon character gets stabbed. No, no, no. no Nikki Whelan stabs herself mm-hmm. to make Nicholas Cage think Gina Gershon is going to get stabbed. But then does Gina Gershon also get stabbed because yes, she's also yeah, yeah. yes. So we're, they're both rushed to hospital. And then a doctor comes out and is like, looks at us. First of all, the the director of the film comes out to show Nicholas Cage the DNA report to show that the the babies are all related. 
then the doctor who's like by implication is dealing with the wife or dealing with someone we don't really know but he shakes his head and Nicholas Cage looks really sad and so we're supposed to think Gina well, Gershon has died well, what, what, what are the things with that is like I've got it in my notes here like I kind of have to say for a film that like throughout the whole of it has just been people talking about stuff this is like the one moment and it's beautiful that it's a Nick Cage moment where it's just all unsaid and it's like we are told what to think by like actual acting because we get this kind of thing where he looks at like the director comes in he's like just read it just read it and it's like well like that is a it look like from what we see it looks like quite like a, a technical document unless it says yeah. at the bottom like let's like a Jeremy Kyle type thing it goes both babies are related yeah. Like it, it, it looks like gobbledygook, but then like, and then that guy comes up, but we just get these like fate, like Cage's face kind of going like, oh, oh like it's, it's like almost like if if it was sounds like, oh, oh, oh. And, like, yeah, I just wanted to like, yeah, it's, <laughs> but then then right, he so then he goes to the Nikki Whelan character, and he's basically at that point he's like calling her out and saying, "I knew you were a bad all along," like you know, no, he it? doesn't do that. She she's going to give birth because the baby is in shock, and like she kisses him and says like I love you. I've always but he's been quite neutral though, isn't he? At this point, he's still being with her. Well, yeah, like... he, he looks a bit ca- yeah. He look well, he looks cagey, but like you're yeah. not quite sure why. And like you always think like because at this point, obviously you think Gina Gershon is dead, and you're like he must like he must know that the babies are both hers, and like. He must have cottoned on, but like, it's like, is he going along with it? What is he doing? And then there's no, but it's not set up like there's no point, a point at which you could believe that he's like, I mean, I guess that would have been the twist, it or one possible twist is if if he's like, oh, actually, Nicolas Cage is a bit like wrong in the head and he's decided he's happier with the Nicky Wien character. Mm -hmm. But again, if they played that up like in the film, that maybe we at any point really believed it, like. We don't, so it, it just comes off a bit strange, and it's not still not. Well, the twist not, doesn't yeah. work either way. Yeah, because if they had played it that they were flirty and kind of like made it out like 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 what they're trying to lead us with this ending uh, as it's going up until this point is like, oh, maybe he is gonna go with her, but then he's like withdrawn from her. It's like right, well. If they had shown us throughout the film that they were flirty, then we could have believed that he could possibly go off of her. But then, like we get, it's just, it's just too. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's too on the fence on either of it. And it's like it does. When the twist comes, yeah. Like I'll, I'll let you do the honors of telling us what it is. But like you're just like what? What? I don't, I don't, like what? Why? So basically, eventually the baby is born <laughs> and then Nicholas Case takes Nicky Wien to see the babies and he walks into the room with the baby. She's locked out and is banging on the glass and doesn't get what's going on. And then Gina Gershon comes out and it, well, she wasn't dead after all. But what was the, what was the whole scene with the doctor shaking his head? What was the doctor shaking his head about? Like, was it like, was the, they, they always like, if they're going to cut back to that and just have a doctor go, I'm like, only joking, she's alive. Like, but they don't, it doesn't, 
it's just like the film just straight up lies to you. It's not like a clever twist. It's just yeah, like, yeah. it's not that it makes you believe. It's just like, no, well, it makes you believe it as much as any film makes you believe in anything by straight up telling you she's dead. And it's just like, that, you can't do that. That's not how twists work. You've got to be able to watch it again. Because <laughs> I did, I went back and watched it again because I was like, am I missing something? It's like, no, it's just straight up just... <laughs> It's not like Fight Club where you go back and you're like, oh, yeah, all this stuff's happening. It's just like, no, it just lied. It yeah. just, they just lied. Didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, to be fair, I can imagine they were like, oh, no one's ever going to watch this one twice. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's more than once, rather. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone would because you feel cheated, right? You feel cheated. Yeah. And Cage delivers a brilliant line as well. And he's like, uh, when he says to Nicky Whelan's character something along the lines of like... Uh, He's like, have a look at the baby because this will be your last time. And he's like, really, like, really, like, sinister with it. It's like, what's going on? And like, one of the things I want to like talk about, and we get it at the beginning because we get it over the the title card, is that the eyes with two different colours. And then we get this scene right at the end of Katie in a padded cell. And she's like got her eyes open and they're bright blue and she blinks and then they're brown. And it's like, what has that got to do with... Well, she had anything? the contact lenses, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so she, for some reason, that big thing, like, it's escaping like... the police by dyeing your hair and wearing contact lenses doesn't seem like the most... It seems like either you've escaped enough so you don't need to bother doing that or you haven't, like, it doesn't... I mean, I, I guess I could plausibly believe someone would try doing it, but it did. I don't know. I like. I, I feel like just if you've stolen a missing kid, dyeing their hair is probably not there. Is that why they haven't found that? <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. Uh, well, there, there, there's the thing is this this film just doesn't. Yeah, I think as we've like said and alluded to is that. She's played too crazy all the way through. It doesn't take a stance either way on like taking us enough down one path to make us like go, oh, this twist came out of nowhere. And as you said, like bold faced lies to the audience. So then at the end, you like, even if, yeah, it, it's not even the fact of a twist, it's like just like you're more shocked in the fact that somebody's lied to you do you know what i mean it's like it would be like finding out like i don't know like oh, no no no, no. I, I, I like i haven't been sleeping with a guy and then coming home and catching like you a, a girlfriend in bed with someone else like oh like that, that that's not a, that's not a twist is it like that's kind of nice. you've just been lied to <laughs> i mean i kind of it's it's on but it's almost like there's a missing scene like that they forgot to shoot that would have oh. made it like there's I mean, a the, missing, whole, the whole film's full of that. Like, yeah, there's a can... missing plot. That's what that's yeah. what's going on, Ed. There's a missing plot to this film, and as you rightfully said, it was shot in two weeks, and it feels like that. The, a lot of the house scenes, especially the bedroom ones, look like they were shot in like a model home. Do you know what I mean? Like a kind yeah, of like it's... or like a like they had just somehow blagged their way into a house that was up for sale that's like kind of decked out to like go this is what your house could look like and the director as well like so there is a scene around the dinner table you have Faye Dunaway Jonathan Baker and Gina Gershon and all I kept thinking was 
the work that has been done on their face cost more than this film at least like what it looks like because all of them are just kind of like plastic surgery up to the to the eyeballs and beyond like their foreheads done like the lot but like it's just like what like this like <laughs> it's that that is like when you're like their faces cost more than this film it's insane it's i mean so i, I did a bit of reading about the director and like I don't think it would be unfair to describe this film as a vanity project. Um, okay. So do you, do you know anything about him at all? Jonathan no. Baker? So I, I didn't before I looked him up. Jonathan Baker um, was, uh, well, I, he went to, he did go to film school a long time ago, but um, he, he, I do like that in, in various interviews and bios, it says that um, he actually uh, went into the spa industry because of the uh, writer's strike in the 1980s, which is a very, uh, that's, that's, that's a, a convenient story, certainly, uh, whether it's, uh, but he, he, he spent, I think he was, he was re- apparently reasonably successful um, running spas, um, but still wanted to be famous, basically. So was on uh, The Amazing Race, the reality TV show, I think he he sounded like from some reading around that he applied for quite a lot of reality TV shows and this was the one that he got onto with his uh, then wife or girlfriend who was a former uh, Playboy uh, model. Uh, they became quite famous um, from that because he was so abusive to her on screen, including pushing her over um, in one bit. Uh, Jesus, he, like he he was very much a reality TV star villain, um, I would say, uh, and has just been, it sounds like he's been on the sort of fringe of reality TV and somehow, you know, I think his dream all along apparently had been to be a filmmaker and somehow managed to get people to scrape together the money to do this. Um, it, it, but the fact that he, he is in it, uh, it's not that surprising when you kind of know all that and you think, did he did he think he might be able to play the Nicolas Cage character at one point? Or he, he I mean, he also, alongside this, he, there's a documentary that's not made by him, but that seems to be sort of about him called Becoming Iconic. Um, and it's got interviews with Cage and I think Faye Dunaway and it may have been connected to the production of this. And it's sort of a documentary that I, it sounds like he may have commissioned about sort of interviewing other people, but it's sort of about his amazing moment of making his first film, which is this inconceivable. It, um, it is kind of incredible. Um, amazing. He sounds like a, uh, like a Tommy, Tommy Wiseau. Or, yeah. Or, but like another, like, yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's fantastic. That That's uh that's some amazing digging there, and uh, I I I don't feel bad shitting on this film now because he sounds like no, a piece of shit. Like he is not a, a yeah. I, I it does. I mean, the, the one of the kids is his daughter. Apparently, his other daughter played some of the music on the soundtrack. I don't know what that means because uh, it's credited to like a, a, a composer, but apparently, his ten-year-old daughter contributed something to it. Amazing. Um, well, there's. Like, uh, there's looking at the cast of who is in this documentary about him which like i haven't seen it but you can you can you can bet your bottom dollar i will be watching that tonight uh the the cast for it so we have like of of people of note we have warren Beatty, nicholas cage faye dunaway 
and Jodie Foster. And I, I hope at least one of those is a uh, Harrison Ford in Bruno style performance in that like they've asked for a interview and they've just gone, Jonathan, fuck off, mate. Like you're a creep. Like get out of here. Like kick, kick, kick bricks. Oh, the, the other amazing side, obviously the first place I looked at this guy is his IMDb page. It includes um, acting credits on Entourage, um, but they all say uncredited. So I assume what this means is he was an extra in three episodes of Entourage and has listed them himself on IMDb, uh, which is kind of amazing. Um, he's also, there's some weirdly badly misspelled trivia as well. Uh, Sit like, I mean, he's got a personal quote, uh, life is by design, uh, and another one that says, I can wave my hand and make the impossible happen. I suspect he, oh, apparently he owns Warren Beatty's first home. Oh. <laughs> and he's got a tombstone with his name on next to Marilyn Monroe's tombstone that says stay tuned on it. I mean, I, I, I don't, it's, this is not like in proper English, they misspelled Marilyn Monroe. But I can't imagine anyone bothering to put this information on here other than him. So this I sort is, of would believe it's true. It's it's This is all perfect. And yeah, like for, for those of you like listening, his his like Jonathan Baker's IMDB credits are fa- a fantastic little read. Like so he seems at some point that he's like he's a big poker player. Like he's he's on here a few times to like celebrity poker showdown of uh once world poker tour he's got he's got a like again this must be him that's put him on here but like keeping up with the kardashians 2010 self uncredited which must mean that he's like been watching keeping up with the kardashians spotted himself maybe in like uh i don't know like a, a shot that happened to be in a public area and gone that's it. That's going on my MDB, baby. Like, yeah. Uh, so what do you, like, yeah, we've established, like, like, Cage seems to do the best from what he's given with this script, uh, which is, let's be honest, the script is not a lot. The direction oh, begs yeah. a lot. Begs a lot, like, needs, needs a lot of work. Um uh, so I always round these off by asking, does Nicolas Cage have bad hair in this film? He has. So this is an interesting question, right? Because, well, I mean, the, the answer is I don't think, no, he has, he has unremarkable hair. I'm always, there was a, definitely a point in like the 90s where it was sort of interesting trying to track what actually was going on with his hairline and what was a piece and what is real. Now, I don't like, unless he's had implants or whatever, like this is, seems to be, he's, he's certainly got his default hair. Um, I don't know whether it's his real hair. I was trying to look at pictures of his dad, August Coppola. Yep. Um, and it, the hairline's not that different. I don't know. Like, so I don't know if, if that's how genetics <laughs> work. But, um, and it, you know, it's it's not a crazy wig. It, it's 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 just his hair as it you get in a standard Nicolas Cage film. So perfect. Um, and next question is: 
does he do a crazy voice? Obviously, like you've watched enough of these to know, sometimes he goes to weird and wonderful places with his voice. Does he do it in inconceivable? No, he's not. He's not playing a cartoon horse or similarly <laughs> misjudged uh, endeavors. It's it's basically as close as he ever gets to playing himself, I guess. It's... And I guess for a lot of people, the kind of shining glory of what you expect from a Nicolas Cage performance and a Nick Cage film. Does he freak out at any moment? Sadly, not. There's there's no real turn and he where he uh, no we, loses we... his shit. We kind of come close. I think the closest we come is just him when uh, at the baby shower when Gina Gershon comes in where she's been drugged and like is frantic saying like you 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 you're trying to kill me and he's like come on everybody party's over get out and like that is like that's the closest like probably the loudest his voice gets but nowhere near kind of like Cajun freak out that we've come. Did I? Love. I was I was thinking about this when. Because I, I hadn't realised that Gina Gershon was, was the same actress from Face Off. And then it suddenly occurred to me that I got, it suddenly flashed in my mind. Was there a moment where he did like the Face Off thing where he held out his hand? Or maybe I just like had a dream in which ah. this case did that. I thought there was some scene in which he almost looked like he was doing it, which wouldn't have been like, I could imagine that being the kind of thing going like, oh, dropping a fun reference. Like, um, Maybe, maybe he does it in something else I've seen recently. I don't know. I, I, I had a... No, my, 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 or, my, or possibly I totally imagined it. Well, they, they should have done fun references to both. They should have done that for Face Off, and they should have done some reference to you 2 so they could have referenced Left Behind, because, like, the big point of that... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Him and... Uh, him and Kate, uh, the character of Katie's... Uh, what's her name? Uh, Whelan. They're, they're looking to... Uh, go to london to watch you too so that would have been that would have been chef's yeah. kisses all over the place but um yeah before we wrap this up would you recommend people watch inconceivable well if, if you've got amazon prime you can watch it for free and i would not reckon it is not worth your time doing it, it is it's your anyone alive has they, your time has value you would be dead one day don't unless you're <laughs> doing some stupid project where you're trying to watch every Nicholas Case film in order uh, for fun and or profit. Uh, don't don't waste it watching this. <laughs> well, there's that thing as well that like uh, this is on Netflix as well as Amazon Prime at the moment. Oh wow, they're desperate to try and make back that money. <laughs> and and it like I remember like because I kind of keep my ear to the ground on these things, because uh, I have a spreadsheet that kind of says where everything is. Uh, I remember I went onto Netflix around the time of this, like, going on there, and it had, like, hit the top ten. Like, you know, they now, like, Netflix now do yeah. thing, like... Was like, it a bad week, though? Like... I, I don't know. I don't, But, like, it seems to be, like, really, like, bizarre things keep hitting the top ten it, it, on Netflix. But this was one of them, and I was like... Wow. wow. Let's see what the um the poster image is now on Netflix. Like is it <laughs> does it look like people are like, oh maybe it's gonna be just Nicolas Cage looking like he doesn't have rock or something? Like No, it's Nicolas Cage kind of looking like he's photoshopped into a photo of uh Gina Gershon. Well, oh no, I get Nikki Whelan screaming, so Netflix oh. thinks I'm more interested in that apparently. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So <laughs> 
um you wouldn't recommend this uh so where can people keep up to date with what you're doing and obviously claim to be your best friend when you inevitably win the lottery with nicholas cage ed so you can now find it at um, edjefferson.com slash cage has all the reviews i have uh, done since 2016 uh with uh, some exciting new graphics showing the balls that I have been picked with the lottery <laughs> that I, I went back and put into every one. Um, and I'll be, hopefully, I, I assume by the time this has come out, I'll be back doing it uh, weekly. Uh, so it'll probably be the start of each week because I'll play the UK lottery on Saturday and see whether or not the numbers are I pick based on whatever turns up in Nicolas Cage films, including this one. Um, I've got a list of numbers that appear somewhere in this film that I have, I'll have to go through and pick six out. Perfect. Um, uh, well, I'll be sure to let people know like, especially with this one and like, I get, I, I'm desperate to know as well what those numbers are. I won't ask them for you now. I'll, I'll, I'll let people find out through uh, going to your website. But thank you so much for coming on and enduring this film with me. No worries. No worries. Thanks for having me. It, it makes it makes the endeavour of watching these feel a little less lonely and mad um, when you realise that other people are doing it as well. Yeah, perfect. That's why, that's why I am... Um, carry on going on with this and i started this off solo and then i was like you know what i need to speak to other people about these films because i would have lost my mind a long time ago well i, I, I talking to other people i did listen to the one that you did for leaving las vegas where you got really drunk that did seem like a man in such desperation and <laughs> that was very early on in this podcast where i I didn't. I I went into the films knowing as little as possible, uh, which I think like now, like that that doesn't make really make for good podcasting because it's just the ramblings of a madman going. This is what the film's about. This is kind of what I think about it. I'm not going to give you any facts or like juicy trivia or like research I've done. This is literally going to be a stream of consciousness from me. And not knowing anything going into that film and then watching that film and getting drunk whilst watching it, I realise now that that is a deeply insensitive piece of podcasting. <laughs> I'm sure Cage wouldn't mind. He'd probably view it as a piece of performance art. Like he, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Well, yeah, like, again, I probably won't mention that to him. And, like, I've, 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 got, I've, tried, I've got Mike Figgis in my... In my uh, sites to try and uh, persuade him some point to come speak about that film with me but since then I've got older wiser and hopefully a lot more sensible and no longer will do such insensitive things on this podcast and again Ed thanks so much for coming and joining me no worries it's been a pleasure
This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.